As I mentioned before, my name's Tony, and uh, I'm the campus director here at Newbreak PB, and I'm glad to be able to uh, share God's Word with you this morning and, and kind of continue our series through Ephesians. We've been going through the book of Ephesians for quite some time now. Um, if you've been here before and, you know, you've heard me speak, then you probably know. If you don't, then I'll tell you. I, I enjoy golf quite a bit. I enjoy playing golf. Um, actually, there's a funny little stereotype uh, about pastors, and it's that since we, we only work on Sundays, that we get to golf the rest of the week. Or in Steve's case, you get to surf the rest of the week. I wish that was the case. That's totally not true. Um, that would be amazing, but that's totally, yeah, that's not the way that it works. There's a lot that goes into this. Um, but uh, actually, when, when it comes to golf, and actually speaking of Steve, um, if you want to go and, and, and feel good about your golf game, Steve is the guy to go golfing with, okay? I can say that. He's not here. Um, he's probably going to listen to the podcast. I'm probably going to get a nasty text later. That's okay. No, actually, um, shame on me. I'm talking about watching your mouth this morning, and there I go, putting, throwing Steve under the bus. Uh, but uh, no, I actually enjoy playing golf with Steve quite a bit. It's fun. Um, uh, but uh, when, I was in, when I was in high school, and I got to be a freshman in high school, uh, I, I joined the golf team at, at my high school. Uh, I'd been playing golf since like third or fourth grade. My grandpa had, had picked me up every day after school and had uh, taken me down to the golf course, and we would go and play golf just about every, every day after school from, from about third grade on. And so when I got to my freshman year, I was pretty, a pretty proficient golfer. I could play pretty well. I was confident in my game. And, uh, and so I, I joined the golf team with a couple other buddies. And when I got there, uh, I got to the course the, the first week. We, we kind of had this tryout kind of period. So the coach would watch us play. He'd watch our course management. He'd watch us on the chipping and putting green, on the driving range, all that stuff. And then at the end of that week, he sat us all down uh, individually. And for me... My coach, he just ripped me. He absolutely ripped me. Tony, you need to change your grip. You need to change your stance. You need to change your swing. You probably need new clubs. The way you putt is like this. And he just went on and on and on and on and on. And I was devastated. As a young freshman in high school, I was devastated because I had this confidence coming into it. And all of a sudden, he squashed that. And I was so bummed. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't even know if I want to play golf. I don't even know if I want to do this anymore. I'm not sure if I even want to be on this golf team. So I thought about it for a week. I talked to my friends who had a similar experience with the golf coach on an individual basis. And, and, and finally, I went to him, and I said, hey, listen, I don't think I'm going to play this year. And he goes, why? You know, what's going on, Tony? And I said, well, uh, you know, and I kind of made up, like, hemmed and hawed a little bit, made up some excuses. And, and eventually, though, he, he pulled it out of me. And I just told him that I was, it, it hurt the way that he had talked about my, my golf game and how he had, a, kind of the approach that he had taken just really hurt. And he said, Tony, listen, I want, you to, I want you to understand something. The reason that I told you those things, the reason that I said you need to change those things is because I see great potential in you. As a golfer, you have the foundation. You have many of the tools necessary to do really well at golf if you stick with it. And then he went on to just give me all these kind of praises and accolades. Now, that was kind of, in, in my opinion, that was very backwards, right? He kind of had things very back. I wish he would have started me with the praise and then, you know, built on top of that to help me. But, but uh, my, my point of that is this, that our words hold a lot of weight, our words can have power. And when we say things to other people, some good, some bad, those words can, can carry a positive or a negative connotation with them. So we've been, like I said, we've been studying this book of Ephesians. We've, we've gone through it. And Paul is kind of rolling through Ephesians. But in Ephesians 4, uh, 25, 
he kind of he pivots. He kind of stops. He, and, and, he, and he talks about, oops, I forgot to turn my clicker on. And he, he begins to talk about um, our words. He begins to talk about um, our, our mouths and, and what comes out of our mouths, what's going on inside of our hearts. And then he does something interesting. He makes this kind of this direct correlation with our mouths and anger. Because sometimes when we get angry, we say things that we don't mean, right? Sometimes when we get angry, we do things that we don't mean or we shouldn't be doing. So um, before I get into that, let's just read this passage together. If you have time, go ahead and turn in your Bibles there. If you're on your phone, go ahead and go to the, the Version app and, and read along with me. Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. It says this, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must no longer steal, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others and according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen." And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. See, Paul, he wants the readers of this passage to understand that our words carry the power to build others up or to tear them down. We've probably, most of us have heard the saying, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Could there be a more inaccurate, like a little shtick or whatever that is, whatever that thing is called? Could there be something? I mean, that's just not true, right? That's not true at all. Our words um, actually, you know, can, can hurt more than broken bones because broken bones heal. But how many of us have had words said to us at some point in our lives that we can remember maybe for decades, right? Some kind of a negative, you know, I, I go back to the, the golf thing. I still, when I get on the golf course and something goes wrong in, in my swing or in my game, I'm, I flash back to a freshman in high school and sitting in that room with my golf coach and thinking like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with my swing? What's wrong? You know, those words impacted me in, in a negative way. I know we probably, we, you know, we've all had people in our lives, maybe it was a parent or a spouse or a coach or a teacher that have spoke words over us in some sort of a negative way or degrading way. And you can still probably, again, remember those hurtful, impressionable words. Um, there's, this, there's this Christian researcher. Her name is Dr. Caroline uh, Leaf. And uh, she actually researched uh, and studies the, the science of thought and the mind-brain connection as it relates to thinking, learning, renewing the mind, gifting, and potential. And she says this about, about words and, and hurt feelings. Researchers have shown that Hurt feelings from words affect the same area in the brain as a broken bone or a physical injury. Isn't that interesting? The same, it's actually called the cingulate gyrus. That's the area of the brain. When you get hurt, when you get an injury, that part of your brain triggers. And it's the same area of your brain that triggers when words that hurt are spoken at you. But it's important to remember that, that while words can definitely be negative, they can also be very positive. Words can also build other people up. Um, all of us like to be built up, right, with words, be encouraged with words, uh, whether it's a spouse or, or a boss or a coworker or a friend. I know when my wife looks at me and she goes, hey, Tony, you look like you've lost a few pounds. 
that makes me feel really good, right? And then she goes on to say, you, are you thinking about losing some more? You know, like, maybe, and I'm like, all right, well, thank you, I guess, I guess. Um, but then, you know, or, or when somebody tells me, you know, when Steve says, hey, Tony, great job with whatever, whatever, like that feels good. All of us like to be built up with our words. I've heard it said that it takes 10 positive things said about you to erase one negative thing said about you. And I think that's, that's very true. Our words carry power with them. So how can I use my words to bring life instead of destruction? We definitely need to be careful with the way that we speak to one another. When we speak our words with the intention of building someone up, when we speak words with the intention of bringing life to the person that we're speaking with, and the conversation changes. Even in difficult, difficult, tough conversations, when we speak with the intention of building up or making better that person, man, that conversation, that tough conversation, even though it is tough, it changes because it's for their benefit. It's for their growth, right? This also, though, applies to the way that we, we talk about ourselves. Your internal monologue, your internal. How do you speak to yourself? You speak negatively about yourself. Have you ever caught yourself? I know I do this. You know, I'll do something and be like, oh, man, you're an idiot. Gosh, what are you doing right now? Or, oh, gee, you're stupid. What are you, man, I wish I could be better at this. Or I wish I, like those negative thoughts, we're speaking those over our lives or we're thinking those over our lives. And here's the thing. Eventually, if we're not careful, we're going to say that enough that we're actually going to believe it. Those words, even though they just kind of come out, at times, or we think them just very briefly and quickly, if we say them enough, they will become what we think about ourselves. Uh, Joyce Myers, she writes, words are wonderful when used in a proper way. They can encourage, edify, and give confidence to the hearer. A right word spoken at the right time can actually be life-changing. Have you ever had a conversation with someone that, that was life-changing in a, in a good way just because of their words? I know I have. We can literally increase our joy by speaking right words. We can also upset ourselves by talking unnecessarily about our problems or the things that have hurt us in relationships. So we need to be uh, commit to speaking the truth and nothing but the truth. See, when we speak the truth, it can bring life. When we speak truth, it can bring freedom. When we speak truth, it can bring healing. But truth can't be the only barometer for which, you know, that I, that I take for which, you know, if I'm going to say something or if I'm not going to say something. But truth is a good place to start. And that's why Paul starts with it here in Ephesians 4, 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. We need to be careful, though, not to use truth as a sledgehammer, right? Saying, thing like, saying things like, the truth hurts, doesn't it? It might indeed be true at the time, but it actually completely ignores the rest of this passage here in 425. So the, the question that we need to ask, do my words bring destruction or do my words bring life? Paul, then, he makes this interesting tie. He makes this interesting correlation between, between your tongue speaking, you know, our words, and, and anger, and I believe that, that Paul does this because he knows, he knew that our words, when said out of anger, can be really hurtful and uh, damage what is good. And, and again, even if the words that we're speaking are said in anger, man, the message is often missed. Is that not right? 
the message is missed. When we say something to somebody, even if it's true, out of anger, that message is completely missed. And then we have to check ourselves. Why are we really saying this at all, right? In a little while, I'm going to give you this kind of this, this test or this tool out of this passage um, to kind of know if, you know, know the correct time to speak up or when maybe just to keep your mouth closed. So here's what we need to do. Understanding that we need to navigate our, our anger carefully. I'm sure none of us have ever done this in this room, but, you know, have you ever said anything uh, to someone and then you immediately regret it, right? As we were going through our sermon run-throughs uh, this week, it, I was cracking up because, you know, it was a bunch of pastors and we're talking about how we're going to start this and then some of the things, though, that we've said and then immediately regretted. You know, I'm not going to share them with you because you would think way less of us, but, um, uh, but it, was, it was actually quite funny to be a fly on the wall in there. Or, or this one, too. Maybe in this day and age, this is a better one. Have you ever typed an email or maybe a text message in a little bit of anger and then with righteous indignation, you slam that send button and it goes out there and you're thinking, you're feeling, yeah, and then you go back and reread it later and go, ah, probably shouldn't have sent that. Probably should have sat on that a little bit longer probably should have taken my emotions out of that, that message because that can hurt. That can, that can do damage because, see, anger often leads me to say things that I wouldn't otherwise say. I know for me personally, there have been times where I've actually had to remove myself from a situation just to give myself some space, just to cool my head because I know myself well enough to know that you know, I, I could very easily pipe or pop off something out of anger. The, the email text message thing, man, I tell you what, that's a lesson that I've had to learn, and I've learned it the hard way a few times, where it's better just to walk away from that email for a little while, just cool your, cool your jets a little bit, and then come back when you've got kind of a, a clearer head to answer and respond to that email. Instead of putting fuel onto that fire, you actually take the fuel away. And this is why. Because in your anger, do not sin. When we get angry, we have the tendency just to do things that we normally wouldn't do or say things that we normally wouldn't say. And so like I've told you this morning, I don't really necessarily struggle with that at all. But, um, but uh, I have a buddy who does, and so I'm going to share his story this morning uh, that, because, you know, that's good. Uh, and I'm going to try not to use his name, but every time I've, I've gone over this, I've used his name. So if, if he's listening, I'm, I'm trying not to. Uh, but if I do, I'm sorry. He's actually an accountability partner of mine, and I've known him since we were, we were really young. And uh, when, when we got into college, we were in a, like a small group Bible study life group together. And, and he told us this story when he came to, to, to our group one, one afternoon. Uh, he was driving on a, on a two-lane road, and uh, this car kind of passes him, and then very abruptly just cuts him off, right? And then does the thing that we all enjoy a lot, slows down. And so then he said that he um, got so mad that he actually, you know, flipped his car you know, into the other lane and then drove right next to him, and then with everything that he had through the passenger window, every single word you could possibly imagine, and he told him he was number one, and this and this and that for, you know, what seemed like hours, but it was only just a few seconds, and then he, you know, pulled in front of the car and, and cut the car off, and so then the, the driver of the other car pulls into the other lane and, and pulls alongside of, of my buddy, and he looks through the, his passenger window and he just mouths these two words. It's not the words you're thinking. Knock it off. Get your brain out of the gutter. He said this, nice fish. See, my buddy had forgotten that he had one of those Jesus fishes on the back of his truck. 
The ones that with little fish that says J-E-S-U-S. And he said he, at that moment, he just, he just was broken. He pulled his truck over to the side of the road and just sat there and wept. Because he, at that point, had experienced this. In his anger, he, he had sinned. In his anger, he had done something that definitely didn't exemplify Christ in his life. See, typically when we get angry, we have the tendency to act impulsively. That's exactly what my buddy did. He acted impulsively. That impulsiveness can get us into trouble very quickly. And and again, even if we're in the right, my buddy was not in the right, don't, don't get me wrong, but even if we are in the right to begin with, we might not end up in the right at the end of the conversation when we act impulsively and when we're acting out of anger. See, my anger's destruction grows when I leave it unchecked. We live in an area that, that understands the, the danger and the destruction of wildfires, right? Even this, this, this past year, we've seen um, some, some pretty uh, devastating wildfires. And, and anger's destruction can be just like that, a wildfire. It can spread easily and quickly if it has the right fuel and if it's left unchecked. See, that's why the fire marshal drops by my parents' house every year to make sure that their fire barrier, that the bushes and, and the trees and stuff are cleared back far enough because he wants to make sure that the fire, if the fire happens in East County, doesn't have the fuel that it needs to progress. He's making checks to make sure that that fire doesn't have the fuel. And we have to do the same thing when it comes to the anger in our lives because we're all going to get angry. It's just something that happens. It's, it's something, you know, some of us are very even-keeled and very mellow, but at times you can even get angry. Um, and, 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 and it, you know, sometimes it comes out of nowhere, and then other times it's just a habit almost. You just get angry. I, I understand both of those for sure, but we need to check our hearts. We need to check what's going on inside of us to make sure that our anger doesn't go someplace, that it can hurt people and cause destruction. And then Paul goes on to write that, that do not let the sun go down on you while you are still angry. I'm sure that some of us have, have heard this particular portion of the passage. Uh, and, and as we sat around in, in the, the sermon prep room this week, and, and I was talking to some of the other pastors from some of the other campuses, we all kind of agreed that we're not sure if this is actually meant to be taken literally. Like we've, we, we kind of dug through the Greek and, and really, you know, some of the context, and I'm not going to go into that now because it would just get boring. For two of you, it'd be exciting. For everybody else, it'd be super boring. But um, so just take my word for it when I say this, that, that actually, um, as, as we were talking, we actually have a Christian counselor, a psychologist that, that sits in our sermon prep meetings, and what she was saying, uh, what she oftentimes encourages people to do is, is this. If, say, for instance, if my wife and I are in an argument in the evening, that maybe, and it's not looking like it's going to, you know, fix itself or get better by, by the time we're supposed to go to bed, it's actually probably better for us to just go to bed, get some rest, and then wake up the next morning, maybe hopefully with a clear head. But here's the thing, we, we, we found this little quote, and it said, the sun is not to go down on our anger is a way of saying that our anger must not endure. Anger must not endure. See, not letting our anger endure actually is making a commitment. So if, again, if my wife and I are arguing about something, I, I, maybe at that point, and if we are not, we're not getting to, to a, you know, where, where this is going to be settled or solved, okay, listen, babe, I'm angry, you're angry, but we're both also tired. Let's get some rest. But what I'm committing to do, what I'm committing to you is I'm committing to make sure that we take care of this when we wake up in the morning. That hopefully when we have clearer heads because we're not tired, that we actually 
can take care of this. I'm committing to working this out with you. This will not endure. This anger, this problem that we're having will not endure in our lives. Because, see, anger leads uh, to unintended regrets instead of the intended results that we hope for. Think about it. Have you ever um, been on the phone with a customer service agent? Right? Just pick your customer service agent. It doesn't matter. For me, it always seems to be AT&T. I don't know why. Sorry if you work for AT&T. Um, you're, oh, well, <laughs> I, you said what I was thinking. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, and I have spent hours on the phone. And at times, I have actually gotten angry at some person that I'm talking to on the phone because I'm, whatever I'm saying there, it's not connecting. I mean, you've all been there, I'm sure. Like, it's, it, it, it happens. But does that actually help the problem? No, it doesn't. And actually, a lot of times, I get unintended regrets afterwards because I don't actually get the problem solved. Or, or just even, like, if I get angry with my kids, like if I get angry with my kiddos and I yell at them for some reason, you know, does that magically make them listen and obey more or better? No, absolutely not. I can actually see physically my daughter or my son hitting the mute button in their head, just being all, dad's just going, whatever, you know? And, like, they miss the message of that. We get those unintended regrets when anger, um, you know, rears its ugly head. And then Paul goes on to say that, that don't give the devil, do not give the devil a foothold. So the devil doesn't need much to get into our lives, especially when it comes to anger. Uh, you've, you've, maybe you've heard me talk about enjoying rock climbing when I was a little bit younger and did that for quite a few years. And when I think of this passage in particular, I think of a foothold in rock climbing. There were times where we'd be climbing these climbs, my buddies and I, and we would literally be, be cramming our foot onto a, a quarter, like, sized width of, a, of, a, of an edge or a foothold, like the, the width of a quarter, we would, we would have our foot on that, and that would be, you know, the only thing we'd have to make our next move, to make the next, to, to make the next part of the climb. A little tiny foothold like that. And that's what I think of when I think of this passage, because, man, that's all it took to make the climb, but that's all it takes. Very little. Very little for the devil to get in there and get into our lives, and then we're going to be open for other destructive behaviors or emotions and, and the devil's going to grow those things. He's going to fester those things inside of us. That's his nature. That's what he wants to do. He wants to distract us. He wants to take us away, take our eyes off of the things that are important, off of the things that God wants us to look at. And he does that sometimes by just weaving his way in there very carefully and craftily. He gets that little wedge of anger in there, and then it grows and it festers in our lives. Because, see, anger actually blinds me to what's really going on inside of me. I don't know if you know this or not, but anger is actually a secondary emotion. Anger is a secondary emotion. Typically, anger is just a cover for a primary emotion, something like hurt, something like sadness, something like fear. What's really going on inside of me, anger just kind of covers up. And see, the thing is, when we experience hurt or sadness or fear, those things are way more vulnerable emotions in our lives to unpack. So anger just actually, in a weird way, seems safer. When we pop off or when we get angry, anger can distract and can take the focus off of what's actually going on. Think about it. When you've been around an angry person or you've been angry yourself, people don't flock to that person. Like, people don't come. It actually, like, they, you, know, you kind of move away. You're like, okay, whatever. Like, cool down. It's cool. Right? That's what happens. But there's something else that's going on under the surface there. If someone hurts me, it's a lot easier just to get angry at them than to be like, no, you know what? Actually, the words that you said or when you did that, you, you actually really hurt me. And this is why you hurt me. 
and this is what I'm feeling right now. See how much more time and energy that takes? Anger's a lot easier. When you get angry, you just go, ah, you made me mad, I'm out, right? That's just, that's a lot easier. It's safer, but it's actually not, it's not the root of what's actually going on. It's better to, to unpack that and to get that out of there. Like I mentioned with my golf coach, and he kind of, he pulled it out of me. As a freshman, I wasn't, I wasn't able, I didn't have the courage to do that, and he pulled that out of me. And I was able to express my emotions and why he had hurt me and the fear of, man, what do you mean I'm not a, a, a decent golfer? I thought I was doing better. Am I not going to do this thing that I really enjoy doing and do it well? The sadness of, of just his words at that point, the hurt. I got angry, but I got angry, and it was because it was, it was easier. And he was nice enough to pull those things out of me to really understand the problem. But Paul doesn't stop with just anger. No, he actually goes on to write in 431, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Paul's basically saying, like, get it all out of your life. Get rid of it all. You don't want any of this in there. Anything that has to do with anger, rid it from your life. But how do we do that? How do we, how do we get those things out of our lives? Sometimes, maybe an emotional audit. Is, is in order or is, in, is necessary. I've had to do that before. There have been seasons in my life where I've had absolutely zero patience and I seem to just get angry at the drop of a hat, right? Just for, for seemingly no reason at all times. And in those times, I found it helpful to, 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 to remove myself for a while, a few hours, sometimes even like a day, and just really work through, why am I getting so angry? And, and every single time I've come back, it's, it has to do with stress or it has to do with work, overworking myself, or spreading myself too thin, or taking on too much, or feeling as if I've been mistreated by someone. But again, it's easier just to get angry than it is to take the time to actually unpack what's going on inside of us. But in order to get rid of those things, that's exactly what we have to do. We have to unpack what's going on in our heart. We have to unpack what's going on underneath the surface. But when we do that, here's the thing, when we do that, we it's way easier to practice compassionate words. See, the last part of this passage, Paul kind of ends on a, on a high note here. Oops, went too far, sorry. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. See, kindness is a decision of how I will behave, regardless of how someone else has behaved. And compassion allows me to have grace for others because I don't know their circumstances. I don't know what's going on in their life. And then a commitment to always being quick to forgive will help me and will not allow bitterness to build up and fuel hateful speech in my life. So I, I mentioned earlier, I, I do, I want to give you this, this kind of this tool or this test uh, found in this passage, Ephesians 4. It's actually in verse, uh, verse 29. Um, just to kind of know if it's, if it's appropriate to open your mouth or maybe if it's just time to keep your mouth closed. Um, so here's this tool. So here's what you do. You find a closet. It has a lock on it, and you walk yourself into it, and you just lock the door. I'm just kidding. No, don't do that. No. Um, no, again, it's, it's in 429, and, and, um, and this is what you do. As you break this, this verse down, you say, um, do not let any unwholesome speech come out of your mouth. So you need to ask yourself, is, is what I'm about to say to this person appropriate? Is, is what I'm about to say to this, this person, could it be offensive? Could it be obnoxious? Could it be unwholesome? See, here's the thing. We can't hide behind the truth cover. No, we actually have to, we, we want to make sure that we're telling them the truth. But, but sometimes 
in our, in our hope to tell somebody the truth, we can actually do more damage. So we need to make sure that, that what we're saying is appropriate. Because even truth, when spoken in a tone of malice or slander or bitterness, can be inappropriate. And ultimately, it doesn't allow the healing grace that the truth needs to actually impact the receiver's life. So don't let any unwholesome speech come out of your mouths. Again, remember, check it. Is it appropriate to say what it is that I'm about to say? But only what is helpful for building others up. Got to make sure that what we're saying is it encouraging to the person. Well, what, you know, what we're saying, is it going to be beneficial for the other person to hear, or will it just shame them and make them feel bad? If a person has a conversation with you, and you're telling them the truth, and they go away feeling worse about themselves, then guess what? You haven't, you haven't read this passage. You haven't done what it is that God's asking you to do, because you're not encouraging that person. By the way, um, sarcasm uh, it falls under this category. It doesn't build other people up. It's definitely not encouraging. I, I've been told, uh, just so you all know, I'm, I'm speaking truthfully to you this morning, um, that, I, that I have the not-so-spiritual gift of sarcasm, right? So sometimes when I get, you know, backed into a wall or you know, into a conversation that can be a little bit heated or whatever, like, my natural tendency is to come out sarcastically. Like, the words that come out of my mouth, they get sarcastic, and that's not a good place to be. That's not something that I'm proud of, of for sure, and it's, and it's definitely not encouraging. It doesn't help the situation at all. I was looking up um, some, some resources for this message, and, and as I was doing that, I found this article. It was kind of a fun article. It was called, The Ten Things Never to Say to Children, right? And so as I read through those things, some of them were absolutely fascinating. This one, though, in particular, I really enjoyed. Okay, so, so hear me out on this. When we're talking about encouraging our kids... Don't ever say, great job, to your kid. You might be thinking, like, wait, Tony, are you serious right now? Like, that actually does sound encouraging. What are you talking about? And, and here, here's the thing. I know it's kind of weird, but what research has shown is that by tossing out a generic phrase, like, great job, good girl, good boy, uh, way to go, every time your child masters a skill, what that does is that makes them dependent on your affirmation versus their own motivation to excel and exceed. Dr. Jen uh, Berman, she's the author of uh, The A to Z Guide to Raising Happy, Confident Kids, says this, save the kudos, save the praise for when they're truly warranted. And when you do praise your kids, be as specific as you can. So instead of saying, super game, great game, you actually say, hey, that was a nice assist. I really liked the way you looked for your teammate to pass them the ball. See, great job is just kind of obligatory. But, then, but when, we, when we take uh, Dr. Berman's advice and we get specific in our praise, it shows that you're paying attention. It shows that you're, you're there and you're present in the situation and that you care about the specifics, not just the generalities. And those tend to be way more encouraging than just a great job. Great job for what? I was out there the whole time playing my game. I was, doing my, I was doing my job. Great job. What do you mean, great job? No, be specific. It can be way more encouraging. The next one, this is the third out of four. According to their needs, does, this, does what I'm going to say actually meet the recipient's needs? Or does it just benefit me? This one was a little bit of a gut check for me this week. Because a lot of times I'm pretty quick to speak when it comes to a, a problem or a situation. And it's like, oh man, i got to sit there and listen for a moment. And is what I'm saying actually going to benefit this person? If I'm going to speak up, is it a way for me to get what I want, or is it actually for me just to make sure that this person is being helped or healed? 
See, if, again, if your words leave the person you're speaking with feeling horrible, again, you're not meeting their needs. You're not meeting their needs. And the final one is this, that it will benefit from those who listen. So you have to ask the question, will it help them? Sometimes people just aren't in a position to hear what you have to say or what you feel like you're supposed to say. So it's good to just say, okay, will it benefit you at this moment? Is there a better time where this is going to benefit you more? Where you're actually going to hear, because right now maybe you're clouded with emotion. Is there a better time that I can speak? Or, you know, sometimes we don't have the relational capital. We feel like we should say something to somebody about something, and we don't have the, emotion, or the, 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 the uh, relational capital to speak that truth into their life, so they're, not, they're going to dismiss your advice. Um, or, if, you know, when we, sometimes when we talk to kids, I, I do this sometimes with my own kids, I talk to them like they uh, have the emotional and developmental capacity of an adult, right? They're, they're 8 and 10. They don't, right? Talk at their level because that's actually going to help them. Sometimes we just simply need to save our breath for breathing because the other person isn't going to be receptive to our words, no matter how appropriate they may be at that time. See, out of the overflow of his heart, the mouth speaks, Luke 6, 45 says. That's what this is really about this morning. What, what's going on inside your heart? What's going on under the surface? See, if we have negative or unwholesome or hurt in our hearts, then eventually that is going to come out. That's eventually going to come out. So we need to be careful with our words. We need to remember that our words carry a lot of weight that they can both be helpful and life-giving, but they can also be destructive and actually life-draining if we're not careful. It's important to remember that, that we're having, as we're having conversations with everyone that we're having conversations with, and this is the thing, hear me on this, this takes work. This isn't easy. Think about everybody that you have a conversation with during the day, and then having to go through that little test that I just gave you with every conversation. It takes work, but... I promise you this, as you work at it, it will get easier and easier and you'll have more discernment that will you know, be readily available to you when it comes to talking. I mean, whether it's a coworker or again, a spouse or a friend or, or even the checker at Trader Joe's. Is your conversation with that person gonna bring life to that person? Is it gonna encourage that person? And if it's not, then maybe it's just a matter of just be cordial and keep your mouth shut, right? We need to be careful with our words. So this is what I want to do this morning. I think the band is coming back up. I think they are. Oh, they are. Yeah, this week. Um, what I want to do is, is this. I just want to, I want to close with a blessing that I just want to, I just want to pray over you this morning. Um, this, is, this is the blessing that, that my wife and I um, just say over our kids every night before they fall asleep. You know, after we pray with them, this is just the blessing. And so what I want, though, is that I want this blessing to be the last things that you hear from me this morning. As we're talking about our words, I want you to know and understand how much God loves you and what God wants to do in your life, how much God wants to bless you. I want you to understand that, that God wants your heart to be pure, that he doesn't want things like anger or malice or bitterness or anything like that to live in your heart, that he actually wants to invade your heart and wants you to live a life that he meant you to live, but you can't do that if you got anger in there. So I want to pray this over. If you, would, if you would close your eyes and just allow these words, these truths about how God feels about you to permeate your heart and your mind. 
Let me pray this over you, and the band's going to lead us in a song to, to close. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and bring you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.